talk to you about what I think might be the quintessential most perfect example of an anti-hero in scripture, and that is the prophet Jonah. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Jonah. It's uh, in the Old Testament, and Jonah um, is kind of a, a familiar story. You might be familiar with the story. I, I don't know if you grew up in like a Christian household or not, but I, I'm willing to bet that the veggie tales have found its way to you. <laughs> like Jonah and the big fish. Like there's so many of us that, that know this story, we're familiar with this story. And you, so you might be aware of it, but, but did you know this? The story of Jonah is actually kind of hotly debated amongst Bible nerds. Like some theologians um, have, have disagreed on, on the how of this story. Like, is it an actual story, mainly because of the part where, with the big fish, right? There's this big fish in it and, and his ability to live through that. And so some, some Bible scholars actually think that this story is really kind of more like a fairy tale, like, uh, like just a good moral story, maybe like a political satire that, um, that they were trying to teach the people uh, of Israel. But, but still others believe that, that Jonah actually was a real man, that this was a, a real thing that, that occurred. I actually tend to believe that. I, be, I believe that Jonah was an actual man who actually existed and everything rec recorded in this book, including the part with the great big fish, is, is actually really happened. And, and one of the reasons, the main reason that I believe that is because Jesus thought he was real. In the book of Matthew, Matthew 12, um, he, he, he says it this way. He said, for just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, but he refers to Jonah as, as a real person. And honestly, if you think about it, um, like if you believe in the existence of God, if you believe that God is, real, is who he says he is and, and has done all the things that he says he has done, then really honestly, the, the story of Jonah isn't all that hard to swallow, pardon the pun, <laughs> right? Because the, the, really, truthfully, if you believe that there is a God that was raised back from the dead, a God that spoke all of creation into existence, all the unseen and seen things, a God who can walk on water and he can heal, then really this story is just really kind of par for the course, right? I mean, it's just, just another one of those things that we can believe. But a lot of times there are people that have a hard time taking this by faith and believing that it's real. I, I do believe it's real. It makes me think of the story I heard about a little girl. She was on a plane and she was flying and, and she's a good little girl. She's, she had her Bible out while the plane was flying. She was reading in her Bible and she was seated next to this businessman, and he looked over at her, and he said, I'm sorry, sweetie, do you really believe all of that stuff is real? And she said, yes, sir, I do. He said, you believe everything in that book really actually happened. You believe Jonah got swallowed up by a whale. And the little girl said, well, actually, it says it was a fish, but yes, sir, I, I believe that. And he said, well, what happens if you get up to heaven? You think you're going to get up to heaven one day and you're going to see Jonah? She said, yes, sir, I believe that's going to happen. And I'm going to ask him about it. She said, he said, well, what happens if you get to heaven and he's not there? She said, well, then I guess you could ask him. 
<laughs> the, the truth of the matter is we get hung up about this in this story about Jonah and the fish because it seems so fantastical. But the truth is it's really just a couple of verses in this book. The, the rest of the story about Jonah is actually an incredible story uh, about the redemption uh, that God offers, about God's ability to rescue and to save. And, and one of the reasons I think that uh, another reason why I believe this story literally happened is that it lines up really well with Scripture. Like, like with history. Scripture lines up with history really well here. It, it talks all about the Assyrian Empire. And back in those days, the Assyrian Empire was the greatest empire on the planet. It was an extremely big and powerful empire. And three times prior to the book of Jonah, they tried to wipe out and destroy Israel. And Jonah was a real prophet. He, he was an actual person that before the book of Jonah, he walked around and, and spoke on God's behalf. He was obedient he listened to God and he spoke to the people of God. Now what ends up happening is in chapter one, God calls Jonah to speak for him again, but something really different happens. This time he, he tells Jonah, don't speak a word of protection for Israel. I want you to actually go and speak a word to the Assyrians to help protect the, the, the Assyrians. Here's how it's recorded in Jonah chapter one, verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against for it, for evil, the evil has come up before me. Now, first of all, you should know this. This is a pretty radical thing that God is asking Jonah to do because this is the first time in your, and only time in, in the whole Bible where a prophet was asked to go, not, not to speak to Israel, but outside of the borders of Israel and speak to a whole nother nation. And, and there are other prophets that have spoken about other nations, but this is the first and only time that's ever recorded in scripture where God told one of his prophets to go outside of Israel and go speak to these people. And it's not just any people, it was the Assyrians, the sworn enemy of God, right? These people absolutely hated him. And not just anywhere in Assyria, he asked him to go and speak to Nineveh, which was the capital city. Now, if you know anything about geography, you actually know that Nineveh, where that is, is modern day Mosul. In Iraq. And it, you might remember Mosul as the capital of ISIS, right? The, this group of people had been a warring people for a long time. In those days, it was Assyria. It was the capital of the Assyrian uh, nation, Nineveh. And God says, I want you to go there because their, their, their evil has risen up against me. And so now other prophets at this time um, will tell you a little bit more about this, but, but he says the, they were acting so evil that the evil came up in front of them in front of God. And we need to define what, what that evil might look like, right? Because as far as we know, like evil is, is really just like some convoluted thing that Hollywood talks about. But this is the evil that, that God is talking about. The Assyrians were an incredibly murderous people. They were, they were extremely violent. They were a warring people from the get-go. Like from the, their nation's beginning, their origin of their nation was just a warring, bloodthirsty people. Like when they would come and they would conquer an area, they would absolutely destroy it. They wouldn't just destroy it. They would incinerate it. If they, even if they conquered the, the, the city, they would still burn it to the ground. They were incredibly bloodthirsty. What they would do is if they attacked a group of people, they would attack them and, and not just attack them. They would, they would kill the soldiers, rape the women, and then dash the infants' heads to the ground. I know that sounds really tough, but I want you to understand what God is, is referring to when he says this great evil has come up before me. In fact, they were such an evil group of people that if they went into battle with some, with soldiers and they captured the soldier, they would sever both the legs off and one of the arms. And they would leave one of the arms 
still attached. You know why? Because everybody in Assyria would come by and shake their hand while they bled out. This is the kind of people they were. I mean, they were an extremely rough, bad group of people. You think, wow, this is really kind of rough for a Sunday morning, Pastor Tom. But I'm, I'm just trying to show you the kind of people that we're dealing with when God says these people are evil. And, and, and this is exactly what they were. They were so terrible and they hated God and they hated God's people. They were, they were so bad. What they would do is they would chop up the people and make the family members carry them on poles in a parade. I mean, these were bad, bad people. They were murderous. They were vile. They were into witchcraft. They were into illicit sexual prostitution, immorality. Uh, they were fraudulent when it came to trade. And God says it's this evil. It is that level, that degree that has come up before them. They were incredibly prideful. In fact, they prided themselves on pride. And, and, and this, all for themselves, they would, they would bring all of this trade in and, and they would swindle the people out of it. They were incredibly wicked, bloodthirsty, vile, evil people. And the reason why I tell you all of that is because he, this is what God says, this group of evil people that utterly hated Israel and hated Israel's God and wanted them completely wiped out, knowing that, wonder, think about what it must have been like for Jonah in that moment. Jonah, in that moment that God looks at him and says, what I want you to do is I want you to speak on my behalf to these people. Can you imagine what Jonah must have felt like in that moment? Like, how am I going to talk to those people? What would your response be if, if God told you to do that? To go speak to these evil people that absolutely hated you and hated everything about your God. It would be like, I don't know if we had a good modern day equivalent of it, but it would be almost as if I sent you to like, like if I said, okay, God said, I want you to get up, go over to Iraq and take a, a stack of Bibles and wear a MAGA hat and tell them how much that Jesus is for them. You know, I mean, like, like, I don't know what you think that response would be like, but it would be like if, if you went in 1941, if God sent a bunch of rabbis over to Nazi Germany, you know what I mean? And, and said, okay, I want you to tell them all about taking tours of the Holy Land. Like, it's not going to be received very well, right? And that's exactly what God has told him to do. He says, I want you to go to this nation that hates me and hates you, and hates everything about us, and I want you to go to him and say, God's had enough. You need to repent. And if you repent, you've got the mercy of God, but if you don't, he's going to judge you. And that's what God asked Jonah to do. And in the middle of that, Jonah, um, here's his response. It's actually recorded in, in verse 3. This is what Jonah did. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I want you to, to notice how Jonah responds to this. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he says, Nineveh, huh? That sounds good. You know where else is nice this time of year? Spain. <laughs> In fact, let me show you. I got a, a map. I put, go ahead and put the map up here, guys. I wanted to show you exactly how Jonah really responded. God said, I want you to go from Israel 550 miles north, northeast, to Nineveh. And Jonah says, okay, he hops on a boat and he goes all the way to Tarshish. In, in, in other words, that's five times the, the length of disobedience. He went in the entire opposite direction. And not just in the opposite direction, literally that's as far as he could possibly go in that day and age. That was the end of the known world. Jonah said, God, you want me to go to Nineveh? Okay, I'm going to go all the way in the opposite direction as far as I can go because the next port is New York. Like, <laughs> we hadn't even been there yet. So Jonah says, man, that's the way I I'm going to respond to God. God, I'm going to get so far away. And the question I have today and this morning it, it, for you is, is why? Why is it that Jonah responded in that way? Why is, does Jonah run away from this incredible opportunity that God is giving him to proclaim his mercy to this nation? The same mercy that Jonah had received. 
and that he was enjoying? Why did, he, why did he want to run away from an opportunity to tell other people that they could repent and they could experience that? Well, I think there's a number of different reasons why we, we do this. Like, we do the exact same thing, if you think about it. We're, we're, we're very much like Jonah. Remember, in every one of these Bible characters that we've been looking at in, in antiheroes, we want to see ourselves inside of them. And in spite of our flaws and in spite of our failures, God's still able to use us. Here's, here's the question I have for you. Why is it that we do this? When God tells us to go tell somebody about him, to go, he gives us a word and he wants us to go share this, why do we run away from him? Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons and I want to give some of you, uh, some of them to you today. And so the, if you have your notes, you can write this down. Number one, this is one of the first reasons why we run away is because we don't know how. Like Jonah might have thought this, I don't know how. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say this. Well, like, I, I'd like to, I just don't know how to tell people about Jesus. And, and um, I can understand that, right? If I, if I told you to get up today, go outside and go find somebody that is far from God and go explain the gospel to them in a way that they would understand and repent from their sins and turn back to God, you can, a lot of times you could feel like, well, man, I, I, like, I like that. I understand that that may be what God's calling me to do, but I just really don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't understand. I believe in the gospel. I'm all for that, but I don't want to make a fool of myself, right? And I don't want to make a fool of Christianity either. So I don't really know how to articulate it. And when it comes to that, like, the, the, uh, you, you should know a couple of things about that concept, right? The first thing is this, the ability to share the gospel, the power of the gospel has very little to do with the words you use. It's actually very little to do with your words. It's important you use words, but it has very little to do with what you do. In fact, Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16, he said, it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. In other words, it, God is the one that's on the hook. When you talk to somebody about Jesus, when you t share your faith, when you invite somebody to church, when you tell somebody of what God has laid on your heart, it has very little to do with you. God's the one that's on the hook. He's the one that's got the power. All he's looking for is somebody that is willing and, and, and obedient to do it. But either way, sometimes this can be an issue for us. We think, well, yeah, I get that, but I don't want to, I don't want to open up my mouth and tell somebody about Jesus and end up looking like a fool. Like, I don't know, what if they ask me something? I had a good friend in Alabama and, um, and he had this pro same problem. He came to, to me one day and he said, let me take you out to breakfast. He wanted to take me out. And I said, you don't have to do all that. He said, no, no, no. I want to ask you a question. We went out for breakfast that morning, went up, up to Cracker Barrel and we were sitting there and he said, I got this problem. He said, I, I've heard you say that we're supposed to, as believers, we're supposed to share our faith. We're supposed to tell other people about Jesus. And he said, I have a problem with that because I want to do it. I've heard you talk about it. I've heard you tell the stories. Because I, I, for my whole life, once I found Jesus, I, I believe that Jesus is calling us all to be witnesses for him. And so I live a life where I try my best in every opportunity. I pray, God, give me an opportunity to share your faith, uh, my faith this morning. Tell somebody about you everywhere I go. And, and, and so he had heard me tell these stories, and he said, I want to do that really, really bad. But the problem is, I work around a bunch of really smart guys. And he said, I'm real nervous that if I were to tell him this and start talking about Jesus, that they're going to ask me some questions that I don't understand, that I don't know the answers to, because I, I don't know the whole Bible. And, and what if they ask me something I don't know what to do? And I told him this, I, I helped him with this, and when I, I, I told him this, it, he said later on, that this helped him a whole lot. And so I want to share this with you. I asked him this question. I, I actually think it was the Holy Spirit. 
because as I was talking, you ever have those moments where you're like, you're talking and you're like, wow, that's really good. I ought to write that down. You know what I mean? Like I had that moment. Like I thought, wow, that's really good. I just asked him this question. I said, when was the last time Jesus told you to defend him? Like, like, think about it. When was the last time you can find a story in scripture where Jesus says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to defend me. Because I, I've read the, the book cover to cover, front to back, including the maps. I mean, I've, multiple times. And not once can I find a, a moment where Jesus says, you know what I want you to do? Defend me. In fact, there's only one time in scripture that I can find where somebody really kind of tried to do that with Jesus. And Jesus chastises him for it. It's Peter. And they were coming to arrest Jesus. Remember this story? They're coming to arrest him in the garden. And Peter, seeing that this is happening, he says, man, I'm not going to let this go down. And so he takes out a sword and he cuts a dude's ear off. I actually don't think he was aiming for the ear. I think he was just a bad shot, right? And like he cuts the dudes, he severs his ear. And what does Jesus do? He's like, ah, he picks up the ear and goes, puts it back on. And he's like, what are you doing? And he says this incredible, incredibly powerful statement in Matthew 26. This is what he said. He said, do you not think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, what is he saying? He's saying a legion is a military term. It's somewhere between five and 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus is saying, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could make one text to my dad. And he could surround me. If you do the math, that's 72,000 angels. If you ever read in scripture about angels, angels are terrifying. Grown men fall over scared to death of one angel. And he said, if I wanted to, I make one call home and I get 72,000 of them. And so you can stop acting like God has called you to defend him. He never called you to do that. It's almost as if we look about sharing our faith, like if you were flying on a plane and the stewardess came up to you and said, excuse me, sir, um, we're going to need you to land the plane today. Right? Like, what would you say? I would be terrified. I'd say, what are you kidding me? I can't, you got the wrong guy, Jack. I can't do that. Why? Because I've never been trained on how to fly a 747, right? So I, I, I'm not the guy to land the plane. But you should look at sharing your faith less like trying to land a, a commercial plane and look at it more like this. What if I were to ask you today, hey, tell me about one time, just one time in your life where Jesus became real for you. Tell me one time in your story where, where Jesus became so alive that he wasn't the religion of your parents, that it wasn't some guy he read the book. Tell me about a time where Jesus actually became real to you. Could you do it? I bet you you could. You know why? Because suddenly you become the authority on that subject. Literally nobody knows that story better than you. And all you have to do is share that with, the, with that person. It reminds me of the blind man. Jesus once healed this blind man, and, uh, and, and the religious people got really worked up about the fact that he healed him, and they were asking him all, this, all these questions, and they said, basically, they said, well, is he the Messiah or not? And you know what the guy said? I love how he, how he says this. He basically says, bro, you tell me. He said, all I can tell you is I used to be blind, and now I see, right? Like, it's just that simple. Like, like can't you, don't you have that moment in your life where, where I, I know I do. I could say, man, there was a moment in my life I was totally going in the other direction. Man, I was totally far from God. But then he got a hold of me and something happened inside of me. And now I'm going in an entirely different direction. And I think God could do it for you too. And that's what it's about. Really, honestly, he said, all I want you to do is be a witness. If you think about that in the courtroom, there, there are a few different roles, right? There, there's, there's the the jury, there's the judge, there's the prosecution, there's the defense, and there's the witness. Jesus didn't call you to be any of these other ones. He just said, be my witness. And all the witness does is sit there and say, this is what happened. 
This is my side of things. So, so really, honestly, it's not really a matter of, of whether or not you know how to do it. And I don't think that's why Jonah didn't do it either. Here's another reason, number two, why some people don't do what God has called them to do and tell other people about them, and this is they say, I don't have the time. I just don't have the time. And this is another common reason why people don't spread the gospel. They say, man, do you understand how busy I am? I mean, like I work and I'm exhausted when I get home from work and it's tiring. And the last thing I want to do is gather up uh, some neighbors and, and talk about the Bible. I mean, I'm tired. Like I just really don't have a whole lot of time on my plate. And listen, I get this, man. I, we live in a fast-paced world. I'm busy too. I understand that completely. Like just, I, I'm having a hard time keeping it together in the Wendy's drive-thru. You know what I'm talking about? Like, which coincidentally, why is it that Wendy's is so bad and Chick-fil-A is so good. I think Chick-fil-A needs to sprinkle some of that anointing on Wendy's. Like the other day, I spent like 28 minutes in, in a Wendy's drive-thru. But if I go through trick Chick-fil-A like right now, like I will get through the drive-thru and not even know if I ordered yet. You know what I mean? Like I'm passing it. They're like wiping a smudge off my mouth, telling me they believe in me, handing me a chicken sandwich and I'm driving away going like, what just happened? Right? Sorry, just side note. But but I understand that, right? I get, I get why the fact that sometimes we feel like we're so busy, right? We get so much on our plate that we don't have time to get together with our coworkers and neighbors and, and, and go over all this stuff. But can I just tell you something truthfully? It's never about the time. It really isn't. About anything in life. It's really not about time. Because we all have the same 24 hours. You have the same 24 hours as me. We all have the same 24 hours that Thomas Edison had. Like, like we all have the same amount of time. So it's really not about time. Let me prove it to you this morning. If today you're taking notes with your cool little five stones pen, and it's a good pen, right? It writes pretty good. It's got a cool logo on it. And, uh, and while you're taking notes, what if you drop that pen and you lost it? How long would you spend looking for it? 30 seconds, 45 seconds before you just gave up, moved on, found another pen? What about if today you went home and, and when you parked your, your vehicle, like you parked your car, woke up the next morning, you lost your car keys? Like how long would you spend looking, on, looking for that? I mean, I might spend a week, maybe two, before I said, okay, well, I'm a, I got to move on, right? But let me ask you this. What if you lost your kids? How long would you spend looking for your kids, right? There are some days I want to chunk those little suckers right out a window, but I would not stop looking for them, right? I would never stop. Like, there would never be a moment where, okay, I'm going to stop looking for them. See, the, the issue is never about time. It's about priority. It's just how much that that, that, that thing is, is really on your heart, and the most important thing in, in God's economy is people. That's the most important thing to him. Jesus said this, where your heart is, your treasure will be. And so it's, it has very little to do with time. And I don't think that was Jonah's problem. Here's another reason that, that many of us don't do what God's called us to do and talk about and share the gospel, tell other people, is number three, we think it's somebody else's job. It's, it's someone else's job. Telling people about Jesus is for the pros. That's why we hired Pastor Tom, that he can go out and he can tell people about him. I, I once heard this about a Christian evangelism. I think it's, it's really accurate. It said Christian evangelism is like a football game where you have 70,000 fans who are in dire need of exercise watching 22 men in dire need of rest. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. That's kind of like, like Christian evangelism, right? You got 90% of the Christian world focused on a 10% to do all the work. And, and I, I mean, like, I, I, like you, some of you guys are looking at me like, I wish you'd go back to like those encouraging messages because I'm stepping all over toes this morning. I, listen, I'd be a bad pastor if I didn't tell you these things because that's in your Bible. That's what we are called to do as believers. Like if you read Ephesians, Ephesians says, we are the workers. If you were to talk to Peter, Peter says, you're a royal priesthood. 
Paul says that, that we are called ambassadors. That's what all of us are. It's not the, the, the gospel, spreading the gospel is never meant for, for just a few people. Can I just tell you something really, really important? It's something really necessary that you need to know. I was not called to reach your family. I can't. I cannot be called to reach your friends. It's just the truth because God placed you there. God puts you right inside there. In fact, he said, you're going to be like a city on the hill that's set there. You know what the word set means? It means providentially placed. In other words, you're not in that family by accident. You're not in this city by some random mistake. You're not at your work by accident. God puts you there intentionally. And he said, what I want you to do is shine. I want you to be like a city on the hill that shines and tells people about Jesus. Be a witness. And it was never exclusively sent for just pastors. You're, we are a royal priesthood. I want to show you this. Let, let, let me just give you an example of this. Raise your hand today if before you came to Five Stones, if somebody told you about the church. Somebody just told you about Five Stones Church. Yeah, just raise them up. Yeah, see, look at that. Now, now put them back down. Let me ask you this question. If after you've been here, raise your hand if you've ever like shared something about Five Stones or if you shared a, a, maybe a social media post or something. Yeah, this is the reason why the church is growing. This is the reason why, why, the, why people are hearing about the gospel is because people are sharing these things. And why do we do this? Like, well, why is it that we're sharing these people, uh, th th this church and telling people about it? Is it so that we can have a great big church? You know, can I be honest with you? It's a whole lot easier to pastor a small church. <laughs> I mean, like, like for me, honestly, it's a lot. Of, I've pastored large churches and I've pastored small churches. And I'm going to tell you, it's a whole lot easier to pastor a smaller church. But I don't believe God brought us here for comfort. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that, that's not why he brought us here. You know, in about a month and a half, we're going to celebrate. I, I can't believe it's already happening. But about a month and a half, we're going to celebrate one year of being a church. At Five Stones Church, we're going to have, man, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be exciting. We're going to have cake and music and all kinds of fun stuff. And in about a, a month and a half, we're going to have this. And, and, and I'm just begging you. I am begging you from the bottom of my heart on that day to bring as many lost people, people who don't know Jesus, who've never heard about Jesus, I'm begging you to bring them here. And, and, and it, listen, if they won't come here, bring them to First Baptist or Second Baptist or whatever, Episcopalian. I, I don't care. Like wherever it is that they can hear the gospel, where they can find out about the truth because you know what? We're not here to build a giant church. We're here to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Oh, that ought to get a better hand clap. <laughs> that's, that's why we're here. We're not here to build a great big church. We're here to expand the gospel, to spread it as far and as wide as we can. And that's, see, the, the truth of the matter is, I don't think that's the reason why, why Jonah didn't spread the message. I don't think it was because he, he thought it was somebody else's job. Here's the fourth excuse why I hear a lot why people don't share the gospel is number four, I want to be a silent witness. I'm just going to be a silent witness. I'm going to let my deeds do the speaking. I, I'm going to let my good works, because I don't really know how to articulate it all that well, and so I, I don't want to be offensive to somebody. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to live a godly life and let that be the example to other people. I, I get that. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi once said, famously quoted, said, um, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That sounds really good. 
That sounds biblical. The problem is it's not at all. I mean, it's, it's really just not biblical. The, the problem with that is that if you're a believer, listen, if people at your work don't know that you're a believer, like if you're like, man, I'm going to be a covert Christian. I'm in like the SEAL team. I like the secret service. No, let, let me just tell you, there is no secret service, okay? Like we're, we're all called to, to use words, preach the gospel, and yes, use words. Let me, let me tell you how Joel said it. Joel 2, chapter uh, 2, verse 32 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Lord will be saved. That's a fact. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In order to get salvation, you cry out to God. You say, God, I, 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 forgive me of my sin. I'm a sinner. I need you as a savior. Come into my life. He says, whoever does that will be saved. But here's the thing. It takes words. And this is what Paul did. Paul said, took that exact quote from Joel 2.32. He quoted it. In, in the book of Corinthians, and he says, in the book of Romans, and he said this, in, in Romans 10, he said, how, they, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So in other words, we need both. We need gospel words and gospel deeds. Like to do one or the other just singularly is a bad representation of the gospel. It takes both. I, 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 listen, it's a, a life of godliness that's telling the story. See, I, I don't think that was the reason that Jonah said, I, I just can't do this. Uh, I don't think that was the, the reason why he was, he, he was unwilling to go and do what God has told him to do, just like God has called all of us to do. But here's another reason why people tell me they don't do it. Number five in your notes, it's not my gift. It's just not my gift, and I just don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. And, and I hear that some, sometimes, and it's true. Others are better at it than you, right? There's some people that are just like, absolutely, they, they've got a gift of it. And, and, and that sounds spiritual because like what people will say is, since I don't have the gift, I'll just pray for the ones that do. That sounds good, but that's not in the Bible either. Like, like there, there's so many times I've, I've heard people say, well, listen, God gave some people better gifts than others, but, but just because that's true that some people have a greater or higher gifting in an area does not negate your responsibility to do that. It's like giving. It's like generosity. Some people, there are people inside of this church that have the gift of generosity. They're amazing. They're business owners, and God has blessed them with a gift to be able to make money. And they use that money for God's kingdom. And so they give large amounts to the church. And hey, we're grateful for them. God bless. But just because they've got the gift doesn't negate my gift to give, right? I, I'm called to give. The same is true with evangelism. Just because somebody has got a gift of evangelism and they're stronger or more capable of doing that does not negate my responsibility to do that as well. And I understand this, man. I've got a brother. He is uh, amazing at it. My younger brother, his name's Dan. And this guy will talk to anybody. I mean, like, he'll talk to a stop sign and then throw rocks at it for not talking back. You know, he's that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that inevitably he leads people into conversations about Jesus, and he does it so naturally. And, and I'm, I'm kind of, if I'm honest, I'm a little envious of it. Like, we would walk into a room, and, and, and he'd just talk to anybody. And by the time he was done with the conversation, he was telling them about Jesus. And I thought, how did he even do that? Like, how did he get there. Like to me, I, I get worked up in my head. Like I feel like I got to make this big long case to him and I got to explain this whole thing. It's just natural for him. But just because it's natural for him doesn't mean it negates my responsibility for doing that, right? Could you imagine me telling that to Jesus? Well, my brother was much better at it, so I just let him do it. I don't know what he would respond, but I don't think it would be positive, <laughs> right? So the, the truth is the Great Commission, right? That's, what, that's where Jesus said, go. It's an action verb. Go into all the world making disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's the last thing he told us to do. That great commission is for everybody. It's not just for pastors. It's just not, not just for those who have the gift of evangelism. We've all been called to evangelize, to, to make disciples, to talk to people about it. Now, that doesn't mean always every single time that you've got to cross over and, and pray with them at the end. But it does mean that the, the Bible is true, that one plants and another waters, but the Lord brings the increase. All you have to do is be willing to open up your mouth and say, hey, listen, I'm a witness. This is what Jesus did to me. This is how my life has changed. I think he could do that to you too right? Invite them to church. Like, I don't know how, several people have told me, listen, I'm not great at having them cross the line, so I'll just bring them to you, and and I'll just invite them to church, and I'll follow up with them, and I'll make sure that they come, because I know here every Sunday, the gospel's going to be preached. And so for them, sometimes that's the way to do it, but either way, it's got to make a move towards that. So many people won't do it because of this reason. I don't think that's why Jonah didn't do it. Now, it could have been number six, the reason six. This is a reason why Jonah might not have done it. It's the reason why many of us don't. It's because I'm too afraid. And I would get that, right? Like we just talked about how if this was Jonah's issue, man, these were some pretty evil people, right? And this dude's about to go into the nation and tell them to their capital city, hey, listen, God's pretty mad at you. You need, you need to change your life. You need to repent. And, and I, I can get this maybe like, you know, if we think about it, Maybe that's the reason why he was doing it. He was, he was concerned about the persecution. I think sometimes that's the reason why we don't share our faith. It's because we're concerned about the persecution, the backlash, how it'll, how it'll look like to our family and to our friends. And maybe it's, it's a fear inside of you, and that fear is more precious to you than, than to move on, on what God has called you to do. And can I just be honest with you? You know what that is? It's a fear of man. That's what the Bible calls it. I'm more concerned about what they might think than, than what God has called me to do. And can I just say something that I, I, I feel is really powerful and, and it's something I think we all need to know. You cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk yours. You cannot build God's reputation in this city, that God loves them, that he's for them. Listen, you can't do that if you're more concerned about your own reputation. That's just fear. That, that could have been Jonah's reasons, but, but I don't really think that was the case. I don't, I don't think Jonah was, was too afraid about that. That might, all of these reasons here, these, these first six reasons are reasons why many of us won't step out and share our faith and tell people about Jesus or invite them to church. These are reasons why all of it, but, but these are not Jonah's reasons. You want to, actually, the Bible tells us why Jonah didn't go and, and do what God has called him to do. And he, he records him in, in, in this, in chapter four, verse two, this is what it says. He said this, this is the reason why he didn't go. I knew you were gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You know why Jonah didn't want to go? It's, it's, it's the last one in your notes, number seven. I just don't like them. That, that was his reason. That can be our reason too. Can we be honest? Like, man, that's the reason why, why sometimes we don't tell people about God. I just don't like them. It's not, I don't think that Jonah thought, well, I'm not trained enough. I don't have enough time. It's somebody else's job. I don't think Jonah was sitting there thinking like, well, I, I don't have the spiritual gift of this. I think Jonah was looking at it based on what he said. And he said, that, that, all those might be reasons why we don't. But I think Jonah was saying, you know what? I can't do it because I just don't like those people. And this is the reason why I think he's like the ultimate anti-hero. And, and see if you can't see yourself somewhere inside of this. Because Jonah said, listen, I, I can't see myself going to those people and telling about your mercy and telling about your love because you know what? I know who you are. And I know how, what kind of a God you are. See, Jonah loved the mercy that he had been receiving. 
and people just like him had been receiving. This forgiveness and this compassion from this God. But, but the moment that he saw that in God's word, these people that were different from him would receive the same kind of compassion, he said, no, I don't know if I can get behind that. And can I be brutally honest with you? I think that's us too sometimes. I think that's what we do too. My son one time came to me. This was several years ago. He was, he was in school, in little middle school, and, and he came up to me and, and he, he said, uh, we picked him up from school, and as we were driving home, he said, Dad, there's this kid. He's a little boy in our class, and he thinks that he's a girl. And, uh, and, and so we don't have anything to do with him. Like, he eats by himself. Me and my friends, we don't go anywhere near him. And, and the scary thing is he was telling me this like he, like almost like he thought I would be proud of him. And I thought, what have I, what have I done? What, what, have I, what am I modeling for him that he would think that that was a good thing? I, I said, why, why haven't you talked to him? And he said this, you know what he said? He said, because dad, he's like that. And I thought, this is, 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 this is exposing something inside of us. Like when we see people who are different from you, who are those people that, that when you think about, when I say they're evil, like the Assyrians were so evil. Like that's Old Testament context, some old Bible story. Who is it for you? Who is it that they, when you think about those people, those people, are, they're, they're so different. If you think about them, like if you were honest, they're so bad that you don't even know if they deserve God's forgiveness. When you think about that person, you see, like maybe you've seen them on the news or, or, or maybe they're in social media or, or, or something and you see them acting in a, a way, that maybe they're in a different political party than you. And, and when you see them acting out in a certain way, you think, man, I don't know about those people. Like really honestly, I, 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 like they're acting in a way that is opposite to what I think God described in his word and they're influencing uh, maybe they're even influencing children the innocent and you're thinking man that person's so evil that I, I can't I can't see God ever wanting to forgive them and maybe you think about that person and, and it reminds you of this verse in Revelation it says this in Revelation 21 it says but cowards unbelievers the corrupt murderers the immoral those who practice witchcraft idol worshipers and all liars their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death that's in your Bible and if you read that passage and you think about that person that's so evil and you think yeah say God go get them let me tell you something you're Jonah that, 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 that when, we, when we think about those people that are so evil that we think, man, they, they cannot possibly be forgiven. They don't deserve the forgiveness of God. You know what Paul might say? This is what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians. He said, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The truth is you're absolutely right. God is a righteous God. He is not going to allow that stuff to keep going on forever. This world gets darker and darker and darker. I don't have to tell you that. Just turn on the news. It gets more and more evil and more and more depressing. Like what news story today are you going to read or about or, or watch on TV and think, oh my gosh, what's going on today? The truth is, it, it, our God is so righteous that he's not going to allow this to go on forever. He says it in his word. He's coming back to deal with all of that. He's going to do it. And the truth is, 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 is when he comes, and I, I don't know when it'll be, but I have this a, a feeling in my spirit that it's not going to be long, that we don't have long before he returns and he makes everything right again. But the truth of the matter is, is that same God that, that is so 
righteous, that is gonna judge the world, he's also very loving. He's very kind, he's very compassionate, he's long-suffering. The reason why he hasn't returned yet, if you don't believe me, read your Bible, is because he's trying to get so many of you, he's so, so many of us. And just like those people, it, it, the truth of the matter is we were all like that. See, Jonah didn't wanna tell those group of people about God because he knew that God is a righteous God and he's extremely patient. And he knew that if, if God had an opportunity to work through him and tell those people that were so evil, that were so murderous, that were so wrong, that were doing all this stuff to his own people, he said, I know you, God, you'll just forgive them. And I can't get behind that. Who are those people? That on your best day, you think I ought to pray for them. And on your worst day, you yell at your screen and say, man, they got everything they got coming to them. They deserve every bit of that. The truth is we all sin. According to scripture, not one, of, not one of us in this room has not sinned. We all sin, we all fall short. We all need forgiveness. We all desperately need a forgiving, loving, merciful God. You and I were enemies of God. And yet, you know what he did? The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can I paraphrase that for you? He didn't wait for you to get it together. He didn't wait for you to get it all right. He didn't wait for you to stop sinning. He doesn't, he doesn't wait for you to be perfect. He doesn't wait for you to have it all together before he died for you. And that is true for everyone. Everyone here today. I believe Jesus so, so strongly, I believe this. Jesus would much rather this place look less like a country club and more like a hospital for the broken. And there is nobody in Chattanooga, there is nobody in, uh, on the face of the planet that is not welcome at this church. And this church will be a place, as long as I'm the pastor here, we're gonna be a place that welcomes in everyone. And you can be broken and you can be messed up because guess what? You're with a family and we're all at one point. I would much rather pastor a church that, that is a, made up of, of a group of messed up, broken people that love God than a church of righteous people that don't like messed up people. That's just not gonna happen. Not, not while I'm pastor of this church. That, come on. The truth is, when we first got here to Chattanooga, I, I went into some churches, and some of them, man, they get it. And I think, man, we, we could do ministry together. We, we got different style. Maybe there's a different style of music or the different style of this or that. We, we could get on board with these people. They're running after Jesus. But can I be honest with you? I went to some churches right here in our region, and I thought, man, this is like a Christian country club. Like, is anybody not saved here? Has anybody not known who God is, like they use terminology that, that unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus, they would never understand. They say things, they do things, they, they sing songs that, that somebody who is far from God would never know. That is not this kind of church. And I just thought, but you know what, Th this church is going to be designed like for a church to go after those who are far from God and bring them into life in Christ, because every one of us need forgiveness. Everybody, and there's nobody that's too far away from God. Maybe that's, that's, that's how you have felt. Maybe today you feel that way. If you were honest with yourself, you were in control of your life. When you, when you were holding on to the reins, when you're the one with the steering wheel, you took it in a direction that is so opposite of God. Can I just tell you something? We've all sat where you sit, including me. There was a moment in my life where I was so far from God. If I look back, I don't know if I could see him, but let me tell you something. He was always there. 
even in the middle of my broken, messed up, jacked up life, where I was so far from him that I said he didn't even exist. God said, you don't have to believe in me. I believe in you. And he came running after me. And the same is true for you today. He doesn't wait for you to have it all together. He says, I love you. I accept you right where you are. And here's the thing. I love you too much to leave you there. And we, we, we say it this way around five stones. Welcome home. Welcome home. Come into the family. Come recognize that God loves you and he's for you. And if he's for you, who would dare be against you? And if this is the moment that you just come real with him, recognize this, we've all been there. God is sitting there waiting. He's literally, the Bible says, he's at the door of your heart right now, knocking. He's just waiting. He's a perfect gentleman. He will never bust that door down. But if you'll open it up, he'll come in and he'll dine with you. What does that mean? It means he'll be in relationship with you. You'll be his people. He'll be your God. Will you bow your heads with me all over this room? Because I, I just want you to take a moment. An op, this is an opportunity. 